Do you consider yourself a high achiever? Smart, driven, highly successful? I am so excited to have you. My name is Julia Arndt and I'm the host of the Stress Podcast. I will help you develop your stress resilience the same way you've developed your workplace superpowers. Learn peak performance tools to thrive at work and in your personal life. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. I am really, really excited to um, introduce you to my next podcast interview guest. Um, I have Kalina Kibel. I hope I pronounced this correctly. I'm from Sequoia today here in the show. Hi, Kalina. I'm so excited to Hi. have you. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, pick us up a little bit. Where are you located? Um, what have you been up to this morning? Yeah, so I live in Mill Valley, California, so just a little bit north of San Francisco, right across the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, so it's about 9 a.m. over here um, on Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday. I know. <laughs> um, I think so too. Yeah. <laughs> I forget what day of the week it is. Um, but yeah, and um, so far today, I mean, I, I tend to start my normal routine. I've been trying to keep a routine pretty similar to how I was when I was in the office. Mm -hmm. um, so woke up, did a quick workout um, right behind me, actually. <laughs> um, and then, um, you know, made a smoothie, have my tea in hand, started kind of checking some emails and um, getting ready for this podcast with you. So, so far, it's a good morning. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. And we are all getting ready for the long holiday weekend. Do you have also, are you off Thursday, Friday as well? Yeah, so I took most of Thursday off um, in the sense that I just blocked off meetings. So I'll check things here and there. And then Friday, our whole company does have the day off, which will nice. be a treat for everyone. I think everyone deserves a, a, a nice shutdown day um, that they can really just disconnect and hopefully get outside and, you know, yeah. enjoy their family. Yeah. For sure. Nice. Nice. Great. I love that you already um, asked, answered the question as well on what your routines are. Um, and we'll maybe talk a little bit more about this later, but um, tell us a little bit more about you. So who is Kalina and um, which company are you working for? And yeah, to tell us about what you think is important to know about you. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so I've had kind of an interesting journey. I'm, I'm from Seattle originally. Um, I lived in Redmond um, most of my life. My parents are still out there. Um, and I went to uh, the University of Washington and studied psychology and communications there before moving my life down to San Francisco. Thought I'd just stay here for a couple years, but you know how that goes. <laughs> really liked it and enjoyed it. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, I started out actually in recruiting. Um, I did IT recruiting and staffing um, for a year um, as my first job. Um, and I think something interesting about that is I learned a lot about what people are looking for um, when they're thinking about leaving their job or taking a new position. Mm -hmm. And I thought the psychology being my background behind that was really interesting. Like what motivates people to take a job? What what they think about for some people it's money for some people it was benefits for some people it was learning and I just found that so fascinating so after doing that for a year I actually ended up going back to school um, and studying organizational psychology mm -hmm. and for anyone not as familiar with organizational psychology it's it's basically a very specific field of psychology where you're studying organizations. Um, you're just studying behaviors in the workplace, how people are motivated, how they work with each other, leadership styles, engagement tactics, um, things like that. 
Um, and I just found it so fascinating. You know, we studied a lot of companies that were the forefront of this concept of culture and engagement. So companies like Zappos and Southwest and Google and companies that just were doing benefits and employee support totally different than anyone had in the past. Um, and so during my time finishing up my program, I started to do some roles in um, human resources so did another sort of onboarding role. I had a stint in um, benefit administration. Um, I helped with some systems things. I helped with organizational change. So I got to try all these areas of human resources, but really the reason I went down that path is when you think about um, you know, supporting people um, in their psychology and helping to mitigate stress, to support the whole family, like it's, it's evolved a lot over the past decade or so where a lot of people really rely on their employer as their source of truth and support for a lot of things, um, for their yeah. financial well-being, for their emotional support, um, to support their family forming, um, really everything. And so I found that twist really interesting and talked with a lot of HR leaders that I was working with. And so many of them were like, I don't know how it ended up to, to be like this, like how my job turned from being an HR person that, you know, you kind of do the HR program and you study benefits and really, you know, learning and development a little bit. And all of a sudden it really shifted to them becoming the counselors of the workplace. And as someone with mm -hmm. a psychology background, I just think that's so interesting. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that led me pretty much long story short to, um, Sequoia consulting group. So, um, I started looking for roles as I finished up my program in, um, employee engagement in employee wellness, um, in, uh, retention and recruiting and just kind of any consulting roles I could find that, would help support companies really being that best place to work um, for their people and um, outwardly. And Sequoia at the time um, had been a benefits broker for about 10 years already. Um, and they'd really, you know, started out as kind of mom and pop doing benefits for bowling alleys and restaurants <laughs> anywhere really around San Mateo. Yeah. Um, and then these companies that you might have heard of started to pop up in San Francisco, like Airbnb and Uber and Dropbox and Fitbit. And their needs when um, it came to benefits were so different than I think some traditional companies. They really, really cared about their people and the experience and supporting their total well being. Um, and so, as a benefits brokerage consulting firm, we saw that the questions and the needs our clients were coming to the company that uh, Chisquoia with we're just so different and unique. Like, what are you seeing people do to support mental health? How do we improve our fertility policies? Um, how do we engage employees in financial wellness so they understand their equity and things better? Like, things like that. Um, and so my role and my department that I then went on to build out was really recruited to try to build those best practices for wellness um, for our clients and help be a, um, Kind of a subject matter expert alongside our benefit consultants so that we were doing their medical dental and vision but really thinking holistically about what benefits means to an employee um mm -hmm. in their day workforce so yeah 
Incredible. What a yeah. journey. Yeah, it's super interesting. I'm, I've been actually looking at um, psychology degrees as well. I have a master's degree in marketing and brand management. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so interested in psychology and I, I'm kind of thinking about doing something else. And I've actually looked at um, organizational psychology as well. So I might ask yeah. questions. You after, should check it this. out. It's fa- yeah, it's fascinating. And um, psychology has really shifted in the last you know few decades to being something that you know, medicine was used to treat the sick and psychology was kind of used to treat people with mental illness. Mm -hmm. And now there's all these new fields coming out, like psychology of happiness is like a really popular thing. I think a lot of people looked into in organizational psychology. And so it's Mm -hmm. not we look into people's psyches to just fix them, but how do we look at psychology and behaviors to help on a preventative side, like look at the things that are going to help them. So Exactly. And one of the um, subjects I looked at as well is performance psychology, which is, you Uh know, I'm a performance coach or peak performance coach is what I call myself and what my company is called. Um, And that's really interesting as well, because they're looking at the intersection of obviously athletes and, you know, how they reach their peak performance. But then at the same time, of course, you can apply all of these different skills to organizations as well. So it's very, it's a really interesting field too. Anyway. um, Cool. So that's really interesting. Um, And, um, I love what Sequoia is doing. I actually joined um, the Sequoia um, Health Awards uh, last year in September. That's where we met for the very first time. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so um, what what do I want to ask you first? I have so many questions. The first thing I think maybe staying a little bit with your role at the moment and with Sequoia, I think one of the things that I'm really curious about is um, how are things shifting for companies now during the times of Corona. So um, how are, you know, how are they now thinking about benefits? Um, do you see like some specific big changes or um, what's, what's going on there in the landscape? Yeah, um, it's been really interesting. So I, I actually was asked the question the other day, like, has your, has your definition of well-being changed mm-hmm. from before COVID to after COVID? And I actually think that um, it's a really interesting question. Um, and so that kind of can help explain how I view it. Um, so if we look back to the end of last year, like December, um, even January of this year, you know, well-being has always been something, at least in my world, working with the clients, I do something that's really important. I think um, in the last year, two years, mental health was already very top of mind. Um, about two years back was when we had a few really high profile um, celebrity suicides and things like that really just made headlines and started getting a lot of public figures to start talking about their own mental health struggles. Um, and that really opened, I think, a lot of employers' eyes to, you know, we never even thought that our employees might be struggling with this. We think we have pretty good health coverage and it should be pretty easy to find a therapist in modern day. Um, But when they really started digging into their benefits, um, they were seeing where some of them were falling short when it came to mental health and things like that. So I'd say mental health um, and family forming were some of the top two benefits I think we were getting a lot of requests for. And family forming just being um, fertility planning. So both, you know, helping people um, get pregnant um, and start a family through adoption, surrogacy, fertility uh, treatments, but also preparing if they don't want to have a family yet. So egg freezing and things like Mm -hmm. that. So Mm -hmm. it was really focused there. Um, Once everything started to happen um, and people turned remote, um, the whole concept of work-life balance, the way offices had been set up to support people, um, 
the juggling for parents, all of that just got flipped upside down. Um, and it really is unchartered waters for a lot of people to navigate how we go about doing this. So I would say the first immediate thing that came up from a well-being perspective with a lot of our clients was just the general transition to working remote. So getting people set up properly, trying to get them to communicate, um, trying to help get them ergonomic support. A lot of people were just sitting, probably still are um, at desks and on stools and didn't have monitors and are, you know, crouching in corners to take calls. So it was really just adapting to how do we function in the short term because a lot of us, you know, did kind of think that this wouldn't be too long. Mm-hmm. Um, then when a lot of the schools started to close, um, parents were really hit with this challenge of having to juggle work and parenting. Mm-hmm. Um, that area of family support shifted a lot. So it still remained extremely important that we were supporting people in their fertility journeys and things like that. But parents who typically had built out a support network had that kind of stripped out from under them. Mm -hmm. Um, And there became this new need for employers if they wanted to not only just make their employees productive, but actually retain them, um, really needed to come up with better support um, in creative ways to, you know, help their parents. So we saw a lot of uh, flexible work policies, even to the point of, you know, I work Monday through Thursday and my husband works Wednesday through Sunday, (laughs) Um, straight off, Um, trying to figure out flexible hours for parents, um, trying to shift responsibilities. So perhaps I'm someone um, who is always on the phone with customers, but I have a kid. Um, Maybe my colleague can take more of the calls and I can do things behind the scenes that aren't as tied to a particular time or being client facing. Mm-hmm. Things like that were coming up. Um, and then just creative support. So ways that they could, you know, have other employees you know, do something on Zoom to distract the kids while someone took a call or things like yeah. that. Um, all of that became really important. So basically what employers were were taking a step back and looking at is, you know, up to this point, we had set up an office where we had Um, control over the environment, if that makes sense. So when you have an office set up, like one of my clients built this beautiful office, it had a gym and mother's rooms and lunches every day and and healthy snacks and uh, ergonomic desks and all of that. When you remove all of that as an employer, you really have to think about how do we support people that were used to that lifestyle and having all those things? Like Mm -hmm. people may have never cooked before people might have no for sure yeah (laughs) yeah uh known how to grocery shop um known how to do a workout without their gym or trainer um known how to balance kids during the day because they were always at school so it really took a different approach where the employer went from okay we're going to set up an environment at least during the hours you're at work to be as supportive as we can be to I really need to understand what your environment looks like at home so I can try to help support you where you're at. Um, And that's where it really shifts from when you're at an office, you can almost design it in a way that works for each person. When each person goes into their home and that becomes the area you need to support them, you have to listen and learn about what your employees need Mm -hmm. and really, yeah, approach things on case by case. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking that it might it must be so difficult as well to navigate that so quickly as well, right? For an employer that had all these other yeah. structures in place before, and now it's like, 
how, how do I help people set that up in their home and how do I kind of control that, that to make sure that they are taking care of themselves still, right? Right. I mean, it's, it's just such an interesting thing. Um, and so this is where I think feedback became more important than ever. Mm -hmm. Like I have a lot of clients um, who are, do a lot of pulse surveys and are very in tune. And then some clients that, you know, they, um, they feel they're a little too survey heavy already, or they just, they're going to open a can of worms if they do surveys <laughs> by opening the floodgates for requests and things. But this really became important, um, not just on like an aggregate survey level where people were t typically taking information from the entire company and maybe breaking it down by department or location and mm -hmm. saying, okay, based on the average responses we're getting, here's what we should do. It really became almost um, a manager training for a lot of companies to be like managers or these select group of people. We're going to really put you in charge of checking in with your people and trying to figure out, um, you know, what exactly we can do to support you because what you're going through is different than what she's going through and he's going through and every single person's in such different scenario right now. Mm -hmm. um, it, nothing really can be looked at on an aggregate level anymore <laughs> um, because yeah. even to say a group of parents, 20 of them, um, and make an assumption about what they need is not going to work because one of them has a live-in au pair and one of them has absolutely nothing in four kids. And one of them, um, you know, the spouse lost their job. And so they are the one that needs to work. And, you know, and so it's a, it's, it's definitely changed from a, here's what we should do because based on most popular vote almost to really need to think about a flexible way to meet people yeah. are. So just to kind of give an array of options so that everyone that isn't like has their specific experience or um, environment then can pick from what works best for them, I guess. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And so we saw a lot of interesting tactics, ex exactly what you're saying, where it became less of like, here's a benefit we're going to give all of you or just all of you as parents to how can we set this up in a way that's flexible? So giving a stipend or, um, you know, organizing a way where you can choose from a variety of um, things or even just the power of information. So we saw a lot of uh, groups coming together, a lot of Slack channels formed. Um, mm -hmm. So really sharing of information became really, really important. Yeah. Interesting. And um, how, so you said, you know, mental health, um, of course, kind of the parent planning, like how have you seen the importance of mental health maybe change or evolve over the last few months alone? Yeah, so it's really interesting. There's been a lot of data coming out. Um, and at the beginning, I think we all we all felt the, the impact of this. Um, like to, you know, I, none of us um, are you know, unless you're extremely um, into your hundreds, none of us have been through a pandemic before. Yeah. Um, and so this is really new for everyone. Um, and I think at the beginning, you know, some people were really uh, scared right off the bat. Um, if you're like me, I was like, I don't, I don't know how long this is going to last and we'll kind of see, but very quickly you saw a lot of things change. Um, you had to work remote, you weren't able to see friends and family. Um, for me personally, I had a 
really hard time at the beginning. I was supposed to be going to one of my best friend's weddings and it got canceled. And I felt so awful for her. My parents were supposed to come visit. We just moved into this home and they had to cancel their trip. And we had a few family members even that, you know, had some scares of being sick. And it's just, it was a lot to take on all at once. Um, and none of us saw it coming. Um, yeah. And from an employer standpoint as well, um, you know, it, we we're pretty lucky to work with employers, like I said, that really truly care about their people. So they took precautions very early on, um, shut down offices earlier than some other places, um, and just really started working remote and trying to help their people get adjusted, just, just in case <laughs> was kind of the way that it started. Um, and then very quickly, I think they realized that we were in this for the long haul and the schools got canceled as we talked about and all of that. And um, there, there started to be this need where people were experiencing levels of isolation and fear for what was going on in the world and fear for their own health and their family, um, prolonged hours on Zoom and on emails and video and the toll that even screen time takes on you. Um, a lot of people yeah. lost their out routines and obviously that's really important for your mental health getting exercise um, people were losing sleep so all across the board I think we started to see this slow trickle of how it was going to impact our mental health mm -hmm. um, and now that we're a few months in we're actually seeing it so there's studies coming out that you know as many as a third of people are experiencing levels of moderate to severe depression people are experiencing almost levels of PTSD from just the fear that they feel or having actually lost someone to the virus. Um, and so employers are scared, you know, and on top of that, people are not seeking out mental or medical health because they're scared to go to the doctor. And up yeah. until, you know, a month or so ago, a lot of doctor's offices weren't even open, but people are putting off preventative care. People are not seeing the therapist they used to go to, um, a lot of it's turning virtual, which is great, um, but it's not as accessible as it was when people had their routines and felt that they could pop into doctor's offices and, and so on. Um, so employers are really worried. They're worried that, um, you know, we're not going to see the total impact of this even till next year, um, but little issues and little stressors um, are becoming a problem and, and work-life balance, especially um, no one's really taking a vacation right now. Yeah. <laughs> or even if oh, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard from so many people, you know, you take a day off and you almost feel silly because you're still at your house with your computer right there. And you're like, I should mm -hmm. just be working instead of watching the show or reading a book. And so a lot of companies are starting to also come together with tactics to try to force people to take time off or ensure as a company, they're almost shutting down certain hours to help people disconnect. Um, because there was always that fear of our always on culture. And now we are truly, we are really, <laughs> truly always on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, which is sure. Scary. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, one of the things and one of the topics that I'm super passionate about is kind of preventative care when it comes to mental health. Mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously you talked a little bit about therapy earlier um, and, you know, I'm seeing doctors when you are, I, I guess, identifying that you have, you know, that you are suffering from depression or anxiety, um, any of these things. Um, what what do you see employers do or what do you think should employers do in order to move more into the preventative direction of mental health as well? 
Yeah, so I think a lot of it is understanding the reason why you would want to seek out care in this area. Um, mental health has historically always been associated with, you know, someone almost tells you you need to go to a therapist. Mm -hmm. Like, Kalina, <laughs> you might not see it, but <laughs> I yeah. think you really have a problem and you need to go see a therapist. Like, that I think is the mindset a lot of people have. Um, they get to a breaking point and they need help. Mm -hmm. um, when really it's uh, just being able to talk to someone about what is stressing you out or your concerns or your fears. Um, and so this whole concept of preventative mental health is really just working through your daily challenges um, and not being ashamed or think it's silly how minor you might think they are. Because every you know issue typically starts as minor. It's Exactly. I'm feeling a little stressed because of the economy right now. And I just brush off the thought. And then within three weeks, you're stressed about your own finances, you lose a job, and it can just completely spiral into being something much more. Um, and so I think what a lot of employers are doing, but even more need to start doing, is just making, making resources accessible and at a lower cost that allow people to have someone to talk to um, and establish that relationship so that if and when things do get worse, um, they already have someone that they trust they can talk to and they've kind of formed a relationship with a therapist or at least even a doctor who can kind of help um, with assessing symptoms and seeing what can be done. Um, the other part that's really important is if you don't have that preventative care, most people turn to um, medicine and prescriptions to help. So yeah. something that you don't see as a mental health issue, you're not sleeping, you start taking prescriptions to sleep. Like that's a perfect example of something that's totally normalized yes. in our society. <laughs> I'm not sleeping, so I just take sleep medication and, and really there's, there's underlying reason exactly yeah yeah why well, you're not sleeping so um so i think employers just really starting to talk about you know what mental health means and using a lot of those analogies of you know if you were doing a workout and your leg started to hurt you probably paid notice to it and start to check it out because you don't want it to prevent you from not being able to run in the future mm -hmm. and it's the same sort of thing like if you have a negative thought if you have a concern like that should be your minor physical pain but it's a mental pain it's a mental pain um, yeah i yeah, like that that's a really good comparison actually yeah yeah thanks um but yeah i mean it is it's it, that should be your i pulled a muscle almost <laughs> in your brain yeah I word um and you don't want that to get worse and so you you know get it checked out and you talk with someone and just kind of explain what made you a little concerned um and so I think it's really interesting and you know to share a personal example uh my company started working with a um vendor that allows us to have um a certain amount of covered mental health visits and we work with our eaps and things too um and you know being the one who preaches it to all employees i was like i should be using this you know i need to check it out so i jumped on and felt like i didn't have anything to talk about and then within 20 minutes i was talking about you know, being really stressed at work and kind of feeling like I couldn't disconnect. And I was recently married at the time. And, you know, uh, you start to just ramble on and realize that like, you really do need this kind of mm -hmm. um, unbiased person 
to talk to. Um, and so I think a lot of companies just forming those groups. And even if people aren't ready to go to a licensed therapist, just having a network or a group to talk to, whether it's an employer forming uh, parenting groups or diversity and inclusion groups or whatever it is, just having that channel for people to start the conversation is really important. And then just knowing how they can seek out care um, when they get to the point that they're ready to, um, you know, talk to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good example. Um, I like that a lot. And so we talked a little bit about resilience before we jumped um, onto the recording, but I think that's a really good gateway actually, because, you know, since all of these things have changed and since we are navigating so much ambiguity at the moment, how do we make sure that we are building more resilience? And um, the first question I actually want to ask you is what does resilience mean for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think in, in kind of what we talked about, um, I've been thinking a lot about resilience um, just because of, like I said, all the studies I've been reading about how this is really starting to have an impact on people um, and they don't know if they have the tools to cope with it. Um, and so they are seeking these other forms of care or just not even identifying with it. And to me, resiliency is kind of just your toolbox of how you cope um, if anything that comes your way um, that requires you to react um, from a mental health standpoint. And so some examples when I think about my own resiliency or just even the resiliency of people I know, it's that, you know, when you're thrown a challenge, you have the tools to react and be able to respond. Um, and so those can be, you know, things like mindfulness, exercise, um, having a network of people to talk to, um, even just eating right and like feeling your best self, like you become more resilient when you're able to withstand the storm and the challenges yeah. um, being thrown your way. Um, yeah. And from their standpoint, you know, we're seeing this term resiliency come up um, because it kind of started, I mean, if you think about a business being resilient, the business is able to thrive in an economy if it's able to withstand, um, you know, all the challenges businesses might go through. So, you know, a resilient business is able to put their product on the market and stand against competitors and, and really be successful and explain their message and all of that. So from an employee standpoint, you know, you watch how resilient a business can be, especially now, you know, some businesses are thriving, some businesses are really being hurt um, by what we're going through. And so inwardly as an employer, you know, we talk about this form of resiliency a lot to be like, you likewise need your internal um, mm -hmm. your internal employees to be able to be resilient. Otherwise that will impact the business too. Like mm -hmm. part of the business resiliency is its own people. Um, and so when you have to build resilient employees, they likewise need that toolbox. So what is it for them? It is making sure they disconnect. It is making sure they're getting adequate sleep. You always hear these studies that you know, showing up to a meeting on two hours of sleep is almost the equivalent to showing up drunk um, because they've watched how brains function. Mm -hmm. um, and so if your employees are essentially showing up on a lack of sleep, they're not able to function and keep the business afloat. They're not able to, you know, support their families outside of the business. And so really talking about resiliency, I think is important and figuring out where people feel supported right now with the resources you have um, and then where there might be gaps and things that you um, need to add. So yeah. um, that's all. I love that. I actually love that the idea of like the toolbox with resilience and that, mm -hmm. you know, when you are, um, when you are 
experiencing a challenging situation that you then can draw from your toolbox and know, okay, oh, I'm experiencing this right now. Okay, I'm drawing in, you know, um, self-care or, um, you know, whatever it is in that toolbox in order to bounce back really quickly from that failure or from that challenge. I think that's a really cool, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool explanation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, and it's, you know, and um, a lot of when people talk about, you know, building resiliency, it's, it's you know, your ability to remain calm after something upsets you. It's yeah. your ability to have your body bounce back after it feels like it didn't have the best day. It's the ability to establish relationships um, that are really strong so that when you're feeling lonely, you have somewhere to turn, like that, that bounce back concept is, is really, really important. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, so how, how do you think about resilience? And so you explained um, what resiliency means to you. And so how do you think about it for you, for your own personal, um, you know, experience, but also when you're working with employers? Yeah. So for me personally, um, I think I, I try to think of when I'm in a lower spot or not having my best day, what are the things that get me back to that? Um, and then trying to incorporate those things in my routine is kind of preventative as we talked about. So when I look at, okay, what was the worst day I consider myself having in the last two weeks? Um, and I would probably say it was a day that I didn't have a lot of sleep. Um, or I didn't sleep well. And because I didn't sleep well, it caused me to sleep in, you know, those days you have where mm -hmm. you don't sleep at all. And then you only sleep at the exactly. end of it. Yeah. Um, so I didn't sleep well. So I missed my morning workout. Um, and then I was running late for my meeting. So I didn't have time to, you know, make a good breakfast. I just grabbed like a tea or a cup of coffee, jumped into my meetings. And immediately in the meetings, I found myself aggravated and annoyed at, you know, what was going on and the challenges yeah. we were facing of the day. Um, and my dog would come in barking and I just was mad at him and <laughs> took it off my husband. And, you know, those are the bad yeah, days. Yeah, for sure. And I'm sure everybody <laughs> can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those days. So, um, so when I reflect on, you know, what, what do I do to bounce back from that? Or what could I have done to prevent that? You kind of go through the motions of each part of it. So a better night's sleep, what do I need to do that for that? Probably not watch a scary movie late at night, you know, <laughs> rather read a nice book going to bed um, so that I can sleep better. And then ensuring that, you know, I set an alarm so that I can really, even if I'm tired, change the workout from, uh, you know, more intense cardio to just a walk around the neighborhood, maybe even with my dog. Um, and then when I jump into the meeting, not being rushed and really allowing myself to prepare and kind of read the agenda to know what I'm walking into so I can prepare my mood um, and not get snappy um, and things like that. And so that's like when we refer to the toolkit, like that's what becomes part of your toolkit is for me, it's sleep, exercise, a good breakfast, um, and preparation for my day and just setting aside that time to be able to do what I need to do. Um, and you look at the same on, you know, I, I won't give like another deep example on the personal side, but it's the same thing for personal. Like if I have a bad day with my family or got in a fight with my mom or something, you know, that would be something that I would look back on what happened that day and what I could have done better to you know, help my family relationship. So, you know, it's, it's hard to like look back on the things that go bad, even if it's not a horrible day, you know, just a, a day that yeah. irritated you. Um, but it's really important to kind of pinpoint like why was that day bad and it it usually in 99% of cases isn't just that one meeting that made it such a bad day it's kind of a ripple it's effect accumulation for sure yeah, yeah of how it started so for me I think that's really important um 
for the employers we work can, with. Can I stop you of... there for a second? Actually, one one uh, follow up question on that. Um, how do you reflect on that? Do you have a way of, you know, do you just do it in your head? You're like, oh, what the day today that was, or do you actually have like a journaling practice or like how do you? Yeah, reflect? yeah, I do. I have a journal, and it's funny because I, you know, I talk a lot about journals, and I'm not someone that religiously every morning writes an entry as I did when I was, you know, 12, <laughs> um, and kept my daily journal. But I more have a notebook, I would say, than a journal that's like, you know, my pad of paper that when I need to reflect, I can just turn on it and write down things. Um, and then even though there are a bunch of scratch pads, you just date it so that if you do need to go back and, you know, look at your little scribble notes, you can. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's been like a really good practice for me is just having small outlet that I can do and, and walk through those and reflect. Um, and then I've always really enjoyed writing too. So it's, it's funny. I, um, I write a lot of articles and I probably only post a fourth of them. Um, okay. writing is just very therapeutic for me. Um, so you kind of like write this article on, you know, advice for a better day is like one that I, you know, wrote down after I had that day. Okay. And, It's so personal. I would never post it, but just that, you know, being able to write those and have a place you store them, even if it's Google Docs or something like that, yeah. um, can be really helpful because you're kind of like writing these advice articles to yourself. So um, for me, I think that's been a really good practice that I have. Nice. I love that. I love both of them, especially because I sometimes feel like, you know, we always say you need to journal, but you say like, oh, I don't need to write an entry every day, but I have a notepad and maybe I'll, you know, maybe it's a different way and not a less structured way to just kind of get down some thoughts as well I think that's a really yeah good idea. yeah cool all right so employer resilience you you were yeah Yes, yes. So yeah, from employer resilience, I mean, we talked about like the business side of it, but, you know, I think for employees, it's really establishing what they need. And again, I think that becomes on a personal level for people, but it's also doing what you can as an employer to set the day up correctly um, and just ensuring best practices so people are able to um, have the right protective tools so that they can, you know, bounce back or have those. Yeah. So as a few examples, when I talked about, you know, being prepared for a meeting and reading an agenda and not being blindsided, um, I think agendas for meetings are so important. Um, and that sounds a little silly, but, you know, being able to write out what you want to go over, um, yeah. something I think is a practice that's been lost by a lot of startups, especially they move so quickly. Um, but, you know, even before, you and I had our call, like a few little notes that you wrote down to me are helpful for me because I know what I'm walking into. Yeah. And don't feel blindsided by as many things that are coming my way in any mm -hmm. meeting too. Yeah. So as an employer, I think some of those practices are really important, um, you know, ensuring that meetings are set up in a way that allow people time to review what's about yeah. to be discussed and prepare as much as they can. Um, because if you're anything like me, or, um, you know, a lot of people have talked about this is, we don't even have uh, time buffers now to allow people to go from conference room to conference room or drive exactly. from a meeting. meeting. Yeah. You are in 10 hours, eight hours of Zoom meetings with no more than a 30 second transition to go from one Zoom room to the next Zoom room. And that's just, it's really bad for your mental health to do that, to jump around so much and, and to have to adjust. So I think um, really just trying to look at this new remote environment and the way that you can make people more resilient is, you know, starting them off with a good start to the morning. So if you're the first meeting of, you know, 
saying, hey, if anyone didn't have time to go grab their coffee, like, let's take five and make sure <laughs> make sure you're set up and, yeah. you know, have what you need. Um, and if you have a meeting during the lunch hour, ensuring, hey, everyone, you know, I know I booked over this 12 to one hour. I hope you all have a break to take lunch. But if you don't, please go grab something if you don't want to keep. So just being mindful, I think, about people's um, environments helps them be more resilient and adapt to this work space that we're stuck at our desks. Mm. Um, and then, of course, equipping them with the tools to what I call debrief, which is the mental health stuff. So mm. um, setting up mindfulness tools, mindfulness breaks throughout the day. I constantly hear from clients that don't really have a budget or anything like that. And I can tell you right now, you can go on YouTube and look up a five second, you know, 30 second mindfulness video and you'll find thousands. Like there's plenty yeah. <laughs> online to get people started, um, but integrating little mindfulness breaks into the day and then just really making visible what mental health resources are available to people. So their EAP, um, employee resource groups, um, anonymous places they can email for support. Uh, medical advocates who can help anything like that that you have I think it's important to just post and repost and reshare and just kind of scream from the rooftops especially during this time anything people have um, to use and really just forming that support network for people yeah and I know and I did something that really resonated with me actually last year in September when I joined the the well-being awards um, from from the Sequoia group uh-huh. was that um, leaders, you know, it's important that leaders show, show vulnerability and they talk about, you know, their own challenges. So they, you know, create that safer space that people feel like they can share as well. And it's not all just like the perfect world workplace world um and nobody has any problems ever <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know um and uh and it was really beautiful because i have a, a really good friend of mine um who had a panic attack uh three years ago and she works at google you know and i worked for google for eight years and um and she talked with me about it obviously because she knows now that i'm in this space so she felt a little bit more comfortable to share it with me but she never shared it with anyone else um, and this year, uh, this week, actually, she um, she sent an email to her team because now she is supporting eight people um, about her experience and about, you know, that, you know, she was in that role um, that her people are in now. And, you know, and she's like, you need to take care of yourself. It's okay to not be okay. And here's what happened to me because I didn't take care of myself. And I yeah. always thought it would never, ever happen to me because she's the strongest, most amazing person, you know. And obviously it was a really scary, scary time for her. Um, and I think the power of sharing these things and showing people, hey, like it's like, you know, even if people don't respond to it, but just for them, you know, to know and identify that, oh, okay, I, I might have some signs or signals as well that, that I can um, relate to is really powerful to make it more normal. Absolutely. Yeah, I have. And it's such an interesting story. And I'm glad that, you know, your friend's okay um, and shared because I think that's super important. And we have some employers. And I think, you know, for most people, it really, you can, you know, it's, it surprises you, but we had um, a client who wanted to do an all hands and just kind of put a call out saying, Hey, we're rolling out this new mental health offering. If anyone wants to share their story, pop on stage, we'd be happy to have you. Obviously we're asking for a lot of bravery with this, but you know, we just thought it could be something interesting to help people understand this is important. And they were like, 
maybe it will be crickets, maybe we'll get one person. And they had so many people um, right in willing to share that they were like, oh my gosh, we're gonna have to, you know, just pick 10 of you. Um, And so I think that like a lot of employers um, are scared to kind of open that dialogue because they don't know what they'll find. Um, But I think a lot of employers will be really surprised with how many people are willing to share their stories and actually how many people will be thankful their employer opened that door for them to allow to share their story. And so I I definitely encourage that, whether it's through small group sessions or an anonymous way for people to write in or whatever it might be. Mm. Um, Really, really important. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, do you have a book, um, something that really um, influenced you and your development in that space or something that you always send people to, like even like maybe friends and and people that you'll start hearing about that might have, you know, want to explore more about this topic? Like what what do you really um, resonate with? Oh gosh. So I read a lot of books. So I'm happy if anyone wants to, I, I finally got a Kindle and set myself up um, so that I can share things on Goodreads. So <laughs> I'll have to connect with anyone who's interested after. Um, but I um, personally, I love Renee Brown. Um, I've probably read all of her books um, and watched her TED Talks. I think she's an amazing, amazing person. Um, so even though it's a little um, older, um, probably like a few years, I um, The Gifts of Imperfection mm-hmm. is such but have you read that? I haven't read The Gifts of Imperfection. I've read okay. Daring Greatly. Um, I've read Daring Greatly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really, really good. Um, and it basically okay. just, what it does is it kind of, um, it, it just, it kind of defines what it means to, you know, live this like wholehearted life. Um, and it's a lot of like self-help and reflection um, and kind of just talking about like what is important in terms of recognizing that not everyone's perfect. And in fact, it's really important to understand all the gifts of imperfection to quote the name that you have and how you can use those tools and how to recognize them in other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason that one came to mind when I was thinking of one of my favorites is just because in this time that we're in, I think a lot of people are feeling a lot of guilt for not being perfect and not feeling great all the time and not being the best parent or worker or friend or, um, you know, spouse or any of that. And so I think I've been uh, looking back on a few highlights I have from that book, because I think this is a really important time to recognize that like definitely no one is feeling perfect right now. And in fact, we're all feeling a little, uh, you know, pinch of failure here and there. Um, And so just reminding people to, you know, really self-reflect and understand that, we're not perfect and how to recognize that and how to get help and how to help yourself and all, all of it. So. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Cool. So how can people reach out to you if they're interested to chat with you or learn more about you? Yeah. So, um, you can definitely find me on LinkedIn. Um, I post a lot on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect with any of you on LinkedIn. So, um, there's very few Kalinas on LinkedIn. So (laughs) as long as you, as long as you spell my name, right, you can probably find me. Um, I also have um, a website that I've started posting some of my things to too, that Mm -hmm. is with a unique name. It's just Kalina.com. So, um, you can shoot me a note there and that will go directly to my email. Um, but yeah, I'm always happy to chat and um, yeah, this is great. Awesome. 
That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm definitely going to add all of these links to the show notes as well so people can find great. it really easily. Awesome. Perfect. Well, thank you so, so much. Um, I learned a lot. I love the examples and the comparisons that you gave in terms of like resilience, you know, how we think about it in an em em employer organizational space, but then also for ourselves and also the yeah. comparison between the physical uh, injury and the mental injury and, you know, how we are paying so much more attention to physical things instead of um, mental things. I thought it was... That was really cool. So thank you so much for sharing these insights. Um, and I wish you a wonderful 4th of July long weekend. Um, and yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.